Welcome to Because That's What Heroes Do. As listeners to this podcast know, typically Megan and I review movies and television shows from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, today we're going to start a three-part series where we look at Picard Season 2. That will lead us to live podcasting Picard Season 3 when we get caught up. So I just want to let you know that if you're looking for a Marvel Cinematic Universe for the next few episodes, it's going to be Picard Season 2. I hope you will join Megan and I in this exploration of Picard Season 2 as it was some great screenwriting, some great science fiction, some great storytelling, great visiting some old friends from Star Trek The Next Generation and going forward. So I hope you will join Megan Doherty and myself, Tom Fox, in Because That's What Heroes Do, the Picard Season 2 edition. The award-winning Because That's What Heroes Do is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. I'm going to start with a short synopsis of each episode, then Megan and I will discuss it. In episode one, entitled The Stargazer, retired Admiral Picard rejects the romantic advantages of his housekeeper, Laris, a year and a half after the death of her partner. After giving a speech to a new class of cadets, including his former ward, Elnor, in his role as Chancellor of Starfleet Academy, Picard visits his old friend and bartender, Guinan, to talk about his lifelong avoidance of romantic relationships. In deep space, Captain Rios and Dr. Girardi of the Stargazer investigate an anomaly that broadcasts a request to negotiate entry into the Federation with Picard. They are joined by Seven of Nine, a vigilante flying Rios's old ship, and a fleet of starships, including the U.S. Excelsior, which has Elnor and Picard's old first officer, Raffi, on board. When Picard arrives, a Borg ship emerges from the anomaly and transports their queen onto the Stargazer. The queen begins assimilating the entire fleet, prompting Picard to initiate self-destruct. After the explosion, Picard wakes up in a version of his home and is greeted by the extra-dimensional being Q, who has returned to test Picard again. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, for another episode. And as I said in the intro, we're going to take things in a different direction today because we're going to take up Picard. Now, I recognize we're in the middle of Picard season three, but we sorely admitted or found out we hadn't done Picard season two. So we're going to do a quick catch up on Picard season two so we can get into live episodes (laughs) around Picard season three. So today we're going to look at the first four episodes in Picard season two. So, Megan, with that somewhat sheepish introduction, (laughs) welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be back. And I don't think we should be too sheepish. I mean, there's a lot of really good media being made these days. There's a lot to keep up with. Uh, so I think we're doing the best we can. But I'm excited to be talking about Picard because it it, it just feels so Star Trek-y uh, it, uh, as a series. And I absolutely love it. So uh, It absolutely does. And, you know, I thought it started out with a bang, literally. Uh, <laughs> we have uh, some uh, characters come back. Pretty quickly, we have uh, one of our favorites becoming more of my favorite, Seven of Nine. And we have the Borg, 
Uh, we have time travel. We have Q. Uh, so what What in uh, episode one, uh, the Stargazer, uh, where can we start, I guess? Well, I started when I first opened it up, because it's been a while since I've, uh, uh, you know, dipped into Picard. Uh, and I had, this was my first watching of season two. Uh, and I thought initially that I had pressed play on the wrong episode or that something else was going on. I was very confused with the opening on the self-destruct, but I was very happy they kind of brought us back into what was actually happening uh, pretty quickly. Uh, this was a very, like, reference and Easter egg heavy season, I think. They were not messing around with what they were referring to. Um, but it moved fast. It was fun as well. Like, it was really fun watching. Um, and it was really nice to revisit with all of these characters again. Um, so what kind of were, you, were your first impressions? Let me start at the beginning of the episode with Picard himself, because he had, I believe, rescued a Romulan husband and wife who became good friends. They lived in his house. The husband died. And um, I'm not sure if they were like the manservants or the staff or they were more of an executive assistant, um, but they had some role in his life. And the woman who's still alive is clearly attracted to Picard as a romantic partner. And he uh, either couldn't or wouldn't, and I think it was wouldn't, excuse me, couldn't reciprocate that love. Well, he's so famously great at commitment, romantically speaking. (laughs) Right. But in the back of my mind, Megan, they're Romulans. And you don't ever trust a Romulan. (laughs) I don't care what year it is who it is, how long they've been in your house. They're a deep sleeper agent waiting <laughs> to destroy humanity because that's what Romulans do. And I couldn't get past that. I will not stand for this that. Elnor shade. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, she's, she clearly has feelings, but I can't get past, you know, just the deception that we learned about the Romulans and TNG, not so much in Deep Space Nine, but, uh, you know, they were a devious people. Now, I recognize they have had some trouble, you know, after the end of uh, TNG, that timeline. But um, I really had trouble with that. Was was Is that fair or, or have the Romulans turned to pay a new leaf? I, I think, I mean, like any collective group of people, right? They're going to occupy the, the spectrum of, of good to bad, of honest to devious. Um I think that, you know, with the, the long-term relationship that he's had with, with Laris and, and her husband, uh, I think they'd have every reason to to have great trust and great friendship. Uh, and I think Picard was kind of a wimp when he turned down that opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in the next series of just incredible action, we had uh, Picard on the bridge of another ship, the Excelsior, and a Borg ship emerges from an anomaly, and the Borg queen begins to assimilate the entire, not crew of the Excelsior, but the Starfleet fleet who is around the Excelsior. Mm -hmm. And Seven of Nine just immediately says, we have to self-destruct. Picard initiates a self-destruct. Uh, it appears that the self-destruct happened, but as we find out, moments before the self-destruct, Q has whisked 
um, the bridge crew, or at least our friends, uh, to an alternative timeline. Um, this was just so Borg. This was as Borg as Borg can be. Well, and it, it was also interesting, right? Because they started off with what seemed like a plea for help and peace. Do you think was was that a deception, or was there some level of truth in that? Um, because the the Borg had been basically destroyed, right? They were annihilated at the end of Voyager. So I was kind of confused as to whether or not this was a ploy, uh, or whether or not it was it was a genuine reaching out uh, for for some kind of help. Well, I even thought back to. Picard season one, where we were reunited or, or, or saw again Hugh, and he talked about what happened to the Borg, and the Borg were are now basically hunted for their body parts to be resold. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're absolutely right, the destruction of the Borg. So at first I thought that they must have come out of a different timeline um, because they hadn't gone through that, or I couldn't. It didn't seem to me that they'd gone through that. Could you remind us how how Voyager ended regarding the Borg? Oh, uh, no, <laughs> I think it was it was how they got home. Uh, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact details. Well, I remember how they got home, but I don't remember the Borg being part of that. I thought I think um, we were using the Borg transit system, and I think while they were in there. Either because they used it, it imploded, or, yeah. The, anyway. Okay. Um, so, uh, and seven Obviously of nine. the queen and, survived. The queen survived. But seven of nine, she was immediate. We have to self-destruct now. Uh, well, and Picard agreed quickly, which he learned uh, from his previous experiences of delay. So they, uh, he wakes up, and they are in a very different place but that's uh that really starts episode two mm-hmm. and at the end of episode one we see our very old friend q q it's a beautiful day and you are a terrible q <laughs> it and it's fun to see him again and the way he uh came kind of exactly as we'd remembered him much younger and then aged up to to match picard and the rest of us that that was great i'm sure we'll explore q throughout this series um but I've always wondered about the relationship of Q to humans and Picard. I, early on in TNG, I thought of Q as truly an omnipotent being, or as we would say in Texas, an omnipotent being, um, uh, who saw humanity as playthings, much like the Greek gods treated ancient Greeks uh, in that manner. But throughout TNG and really up to the very last episode of TNG, uh, it seemed to me that either that relationship had evolved or Q had always seen humanity as, as something more than playthings, certainly something more as pets. And yes, he interceded, but the intercession t- typically led to a lesson uh, for humanity. And so when he appeared here, I thought he was here legitimately to help, even if that help may have appeared to be a difficult task or a difficult question, which he would pose to Picard. What did you see around the relationship of Q to Picard and humanity throughout TNG leading up to season two of Picard? I guess I always thought with, with Q, what 
he, what I thought that he liked about dealing with humans is that he often couldn't predict them. Uh, and I think it was, you know, maybe if not like a, a, a human playing with a pet, uh, definitely kind of experimenting with a different kind of life. So I think he found human and humanity very fascinating. Um, and, uh, you know, often, you know, humans would take the lessons from it. And I think that's going to be happening again with, with this particular instance of him. Um, but I always kind of just did see him in sort of the, the godlike entity category. Uh, you know, if you're omnipotent, you've got all the time in the world, you need something to do. Uh, and humans are fascinating. So that brings us up to, uh, episode two. Before we jump into episode two, I did have one problem with the opening, like kind of the beginning, um, back on the, the Picard estate, um, when they were showing the hovercrafts over the vineyards. I do not believe for a single solitary second that a French vintner would allow his grapes to be transported, molecularly deconfigured and reconfigured on the other end. I don't buy it. That knocked me right out of belief. (laughs) That's that's probably a very fair point. I'm surprised we didn't hear from the um, French (laughs) French Winery Association. Where are the think pieces? Where are the... (laughs) Anyway, I I thought that was interesting, but that that was my my only nitpick with it. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back for episode two. Episode two, Penance. Picard learns from Q that he and his companions are in an alternative timeline where humanity has formed the xenophobic confederation of Earth, systematically eradicating or enslaving alien races. Picard, the confederation's greatest military commander, has been granted the honor of executing last Borg Queen by Seven of Nine, who is president of the Confederation and married to the magistrate. The group reunite and learn from the Borg Queen that they can prevent the Federation's, Confederation's formation by traveling to Los Angeles in 2024, which they can only do with the Queen's help. Agnes, Raffi, and Elnor take control of communications and transporter systems in Confederation headquarters while Seven and Picard buy time at the public execution. The crowd and the magistrate grow concerned with their stalling, and the others complete their objectives, and Picard, Seven of Nine, Agnes, Raffi, Elnor, and the Queen are beamed to Rios' ship. They are preparing to initiate time travel when the magistrate and security officers beam aboard, shoot and wound Elnor, and prepare to execute them all for treason. Megan, in episode two, we wake up, and indeed Picard and the team wakes up in a very different, very dark place, something called the Confederation of Earth. (laughs) Now, this series came out in 2022, so given the American political situation, perhaps not so dark or not so different. Uh, And when early on in this episode particularly, I thought, well, these script writers are just mirroring America today. Um, Now, I think our listeners know you're not American. Spoiler (laughs) alert. So did, did you get that sense or did you just think this was a very dark sort of 1984 place? No, I thought actually this was, um, uh, uh, this is one of the most fascinating episodes of Star Trek I think I've ever seen. Uh, and it, it's one of the first ones, I think, that's really showing what the future would be like if we didn't change at all before we got there. And when I say we, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, kind of 
uh, Western capitalist imperialist <laughs> earthlings. Uh, so I, I thought it was uh, it was horrifyingly realistic, like believable in terms of how that could have gone. And I'm like, I'm so happy that they went there. And as we'll talk about in future episodes, they don't lay off on this theme uh, at all. Uh, so I thought I thought it was a, a really bold choice of them and so interesting and horrifying. Um, so yeah, I, I, I thought, yes, they are, they're not being super subtle about, I think the, <laughs> the, the kind of comparisons that they're making. Um, but I think that's really good. I'm really glad they made that choice. So obviously, uh, well, perhaps not obviously, but I thought it was inspired to have Picard be the leading general and basically a worst butcher of the military wing of the Confederation, because that's certainly antithetical to the Picard we know. But there was one scene in there that, uh, separate and apart from all of this terror and horror, was, to me, as a poignant scene as I have seen in all of Star Trek. And that was when Seven of Nine looked at herself in the mirror. And... The poignancy was that she was not assimilated. She was not seven of nine. She was Anna. And she didn't have any of the remains of Borg implants that we see uh, on her. And I remember she brushed across her face just like that. And that was as literally, as I said, as, as a poignant scene as I can remember in Star Trek, and there was no dialogue. It, it was just beautiful. What did what did that scene mean to you, or how did you feel when you saw that? Well, I thought it, I thought it was uh, lovely. That for me really um, really cemented okay alternate reality. Uh, and I mean, I thought it was it was beautiful and touching. I think they they are going to go on to kind of show more and more what it means to her on, on you know an emotional on a psychological level uh, to not have this visual. Um, differentiator uh, between her and other humans. Uh, it was it was a really touching scene. I thought um, it was really charming part of it, especially when she was trying to like do these checks to see like, oh wait, okay, am I real? Am I here? Uh, with the the you know checking for her hearing, checking for pain sensors. Uh, I thought that was it was. I agree with you. It was lovely uh, and it was a touching moment. And I kind of found it hilarious when we found out she was president of Earth. <laughs> that that was great. <laughs> So we should uh, certainly say, uh, uh, relate that the Borg Queen has uh, also uh, a part of this story at the, in this episode. Mm-hmm. And she relates that uh, something happened on the timeline, uh, Earth changed, and that change happened in uh, 2024. Next year. And that <laughs> next year. And she proposes that the team go back to 20, tra- time travel back to 2024 which she can facilitate um, to change whatever uh, needs changing to get the timeline back. Mm -hmm. And so they recognize that they have to do that. And they have a a, a really odd scene where Picard, as the number one uh, military aficionado who executed and killed so many people, he has the opportunity or is given the honor of executing a prisoner. Oh, yeah. Like, Eradication day. What a... What a <laughs> it was really chilling uh, how 
How easily I could see that happening. <laughs> and and he stalls and he hems around and haws until they're finally ready. And um, so they get back on their ship and they're about to leave. And uh, the magistrate who is married to Anna or Seven of Nine uh, arrives with security guards and they kill Elnor. And or at least fatally wound him. Mm-hmm. And we both love Elnor. Picard loves Elnor. And uh, I did recognize, even when I saw it, well, this is Star Trek. So nobody really ever dies. Uh, and I'm sure they'll do something. But it was still pretty touching uh, because he, he, he is a very different character. And, and I've grown to really appreciate him. How did you feel when, when Elnor went down? Oh, poorly. <laughs> Uh, and and watching Raffi's reaction uh, to it, and and seeing the relationship that they've built, uh, and how affected she was by it when when previously she had let so little affect her, um, I, I thought it was it was quite brutal. Then the board queen uh, basically says, "I'll be your computer to slingshot around the sun uh, to get you back to 2024." And for me, that comes straight out of. TOS. That good old slingshot remover uh, maneuver. Around the sun. <laughs> so, but it also introduces Dr. Girardi in a way. Uh, she is part of this uh, season and she is basically the human computer. Mm-hmm. And we begin to see how the Ward Queen is going to manipulate the team and her because she recognizes that Girardi can provide the physical, uh, uh, the right word, the bio, uh, bio-organic material mm-hmm. for her to not only exist, but flourish in the future. So we begin to see that, but, uh, I was really um, enjoyed seeing that reference to, uh, TOS. Uh, what are your th- kind of final thoughts or other thoughts on this, uh, this episode two, Megan? Uh, well, I, I, that scene, it was towards the beginning when Q was giving Picard um, the tour of his, uh, I guess, mansion of horrors. And they go into the trophy room and you can see all of these uh, villains or adversaries that we've loved so much uh, in the skulls that had been displayed. So you had Goldukat, um, one of the best villains, in my opinion. Uh, General Martok. Can't even believe that that was there. I think it looked like a Grand Negus uh, skull from the Ferengi. I believe uh, Surik was also there, so that was, uh, all of these people with whom Picard or other captains had had relationships with just lined up as dead skulls was, uh, I think a a kind of chilling way of displaying how horrible the future has become. Um, I think all of the characters kind of waking up and realizing what has happened and trying to play along with what they find themselves in was really interesting. Uh, and the the last thing I noted about this was that the Department of Temporal Investigations is going to have a field day when they get through this one. <laughs> Very good call. There's going to be some paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> the bureaucracy will respond. <laughs> because that will never change. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, Megan, uh, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back to tackle episode three. Episode 3, Assimilation Seven of Nine distracts the magistrate long enough for the group to overpower and kill him and the others. The ship comes under attack and the queen takes advantage of the situation 
to directly connect herself to the ship's computers. She destroys their pursuers and slingshots the ship around the sun, creating a wormhole back to 2024. She tells Picard that they must find the Watcher in Los Angeles who knows what Q changed to cause the new timeline. The ship crashes near Chateau Picard in France, and the Queen diverts all power to sustain herself. Elnor dies of his wounds, and Raffi angrily blames Picard before departing with Seven of Nine and Rios to start searching for the Watcher. Rios's transporter malfunctions, and he is knocked out, waking up in a clinic which secretly treats undocumented immigrants. Before he can leave, immigration officers raid the clinic and arrest both Rios and his physician, Teresa. Rios' communicator is left behind. Despite Picard's warnings, Agnes connects her mind to the Queen and learns the exact location of the Watcher before she can be assimilated, impressing the Queen. So, Megan, we're on to Episode 3, entitled Assimilation, and the crew is now back on Earth, uh, circa 2024. Where do you want to pick up for episode three? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, first, thank you for sending them back to 2024. Uh, that is not the first time Star Trek crews have been sent back to 2024. Uh, there was a whole great time, uh, couple of episodes about it in DS9. Uh, and it was also really kind of, I think, similar to the Voyager uh, time travel episode, also to L.A., uh, although in 1996, also close to when the show aired. Um, love the fish out of water episodes always. Uh, so I thought that was a lot of fun, but they also did some really, I think, serious character development throughout the episode. Uh, so they're back into a time that's really close to now, really close to other times that they've been back to similar periods in history. Uh, and it's this this moment of precipice, right, where we can either choose, okay, we're going to go fascist conqueror future or we're going to go luxury space communism. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited to see kind of how they make that happen. Um, uh, and then there were the character moments, uh, so Seven of Nine really realizing what it means to be uh, an extremely attractive human and how people are going to treat her so differently than she's been treated her entire life. And I think Gerardi's really getting weirdly closer to the Borg Queen, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more, but probably, I think, also noticing some similarities that make her very uncomfortable. Uh, so that, those are my kind of overall thoughts. What, uh, what about yours? So... I've never asked you this, but were you, have you were you ever uh, teased as the computer girl, or <laughs> were you sort of went the other way, just the uh, ice cold computer girl? Not not so much the ice cold computer girl. I was kind of ice cold businessy project girl. I wore like business casual my whole last year of high school. I'm not proud. <laughs> <laughs> I had many good friends <laughs> because. Um, I was really interested in Girardi's relationship with the Queen mm -hmm. because it seemed to me, as you suggested, Girardi learned a lot about herself uh, in that relationship. But I, I wasn't sure she saw them as negative. I think she saw the Queen as actually a very strong female role model, that there are obviously some negative parts that she did not want to incorporate or even be, be assimilated into. But there were some things that she did uh, appreciate and that um, if Girardi had uh, ever thought about maybe becoming a little more human, when she met the Queen, she realized, maybe I don't have to. Yeah. And maybe I can be this other type of being. And I don't want to say ice bitch because it's not, it wasn't that at all. It was... 
uh, much more analytical, much more machine, much more logical, data-driven than even she was at that point. So I, I just thought that, for me, that was really interesting to watch mm -hmm. that part of it and watch Girardi almost pick and choose of the parts of the Queen she approved of. Now, the Queen, of course, is playing her playing her own game, uh, trying to suck Girardi in uh, so that she can fully assimilate Girardi because I see, think she sees not only her mind but the organic material of a human mm -hmm. as uh, something that she can use, the Queen can use going forward. Uh, and I, I thought it was so interesting that the Queen had this respect for Girardi after Girardi kind of stole the information that she needed from the Queen's databases. There's like definitely an interesting mutual respect I think that uh, is not something I would normally expect from a Borg queen uh, or any Borg whatsoever. But yeah, I think I think there's kind of this pitting of wills against each other happening uh, that I, I really find fascinating. We also find out that it was Q who has changed the timeline and that now the Enterprise crew or the Picard group, I should say, is on a quest to find the Watcher who can allegedly tell them what Q did. Um at that point, it was not clear to me if Q had changed the timeline simply <clears throat> to drop a card into this game, or the final game, um, or if Q was trying to change history to benefit Q. Did you have any mm. questions or sense of that one way or the other? You know, no, I, I didn't really. I'll, I'll admit to just being so caught up in the fish-out-of-water time travel of everything that I, I was not questioning the motives of how they got there too much. Um, but yeah, I wonder how much Q intended for everything to happen uh, or what he was actually going for. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it is just another game to, to play with the amusing humans uh, or maybe there's something, something bigger at stake. I think, uh, I think we'll find out more soon. Uh, so Rios uh, in a transporter incident, uh, <laughs> wakes up in a medical clinic run by an American in Los Angeles, but it's run for illegal immigrants. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that premise was a little too PC for me, but uh, it introduced the character Teresa and Teresa's son, who I thought were wonderful additions to this story. Um, shortly after... Uh, Rios appears in her clinic and they have some initial discussions. The immigration uh, authority, ICE, uh, here in the United States, uh, raids the facility and arrests them both. Of course, Rios doesn't have any papers because he is an alien, <laughs> truly an alien. <laughs> Not illegal, just an alien. Uh, so did that backstory, uh, did it set up well for you recognize that we're going to carry on with their relationship in a big way going forward. But did how did that whole part of it resonate? I loved it. I really liked it. <laughs> well, I think those clinics absolutely exist. Uh, and and they're they're definitely not too PC for me. But again, I come from a country with you know single-payer health care. Uh, so uh, I love the doctor and I love her son. I think her attitude was great. I think the chemistry they had was fantastic. Uh, and that they actually brought in ICE, you know, this real governmental organization that is really terrorizing uh, whole swaths of, you know, the, the public in these areas 
really, really, really interesting. And having to have these characters from future Star Trek actually deal with these 21st century governmental institutions, super fascinating. Um, I, I really love that they're not shying away from you know, the, the racism and the institutional inequalities and, and all of these things. Star Trek has always been good about you know addressing these or talking about how uh, they're different now and in some cases even saying, hey, no, the past was actually horrifying for A, B, and C reason. But I think this is one of the first times that they're really, really dealing with it on a character plot line level. Uh, and that's so fascinating to me. So you mentioned the um, queen becomes impressed with Girardi because yeah. Girardi allows the queen access to her brain. While doing so, Girardi is able to hide a portion of what she wants to do from the queen and remove the uh, location of the watcher. And I, I thought that was great. I thought that was great screenwriting. I think that's great science fiction. Um, and seeing Girardi do that, uh, it just I, I thought was great. Uh, and that really ends this episode. Any sort of final thoughts on this episode for you? Uh, not so much. I, I agree. That was such a great moment. Um, I love her sense of humor uh, and just the, the way her character's delivered. It's, it's really fun while getting serious things done in a serious way. I think she, she showed herself to be an A player uh, in a way that I think she doesn't really believe that she is, although other people can see it. Uh, and I think that's kind of the, the big theme of the episode is, is, you know, how are you seeing yourself versus how are other people seeing you? Uh, I think that's a really big theme. So we're going to take our final break and we'll be right back with episode four. Episode four, The Watcher. Picard and Agnes learn from Agnes's connection to the queen that the change to the timeline they must prevent to avoid the dark future of the Confederation will happen in three days' time, or Tax Day 2024, April 15th. Picard transports to the location Agnes learned from the Queen and finds a younger version of Guinan who does not know him and is planning to leave Earth after growing disillusioned with humanity. Seven of Nine and Rafi search for Rios, who is processed by ICE and sent to a sanctuary district on the U.S. border. They are able to track the bus that Rios is on with the help of Agnes, who tricks the Queen into improving La Serena's transportation system. After Picard reveals his name and explains that he's looking for a watcher, Guinan leads, leads him to someone known as a supervisor that is acting as a guardian angel for someone on Earth. The supervisor, who resembles Laris but appears human, teleports away with Picard. Meanwhile, Q approaches a woman who is working on the planned Europa spaceflight mission. He is surprised to discover that he is unable to change her destiny. Well, Megan, we are back for our final episode of Picard Season 2 for this podcast. It's Episode 4, entitled Watcher. And uh, where did you want to start for this episode? Oh, well... um. Shall we start at uh, 10 Forward, where we meet a very old friend who does not know us yet? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, having kind of deciphered the information that you already got from the Borg Queen, uh, Picard goes to 10 Forward to meet up with someone who they hope is the Watcher, but turns out to be someone who has information about where the Watcher can be found and is a much younger version of uh, Picard's oldest and dearest friend, Guinan, who has no idea who he is. Um, but is still 
packing uh, major uh, weapons-based heat and willing <laughs> to use it at the least opportunity. <laughs> and should we say what Ten Forward is in this uh, Picard season two? Of course, yes. It is a bar uh, 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 right next to uh, what looks like a homeless encampment uh, in L.A. Uh, that uh, Picard found found his way to. So we meet Guinan, and um, you're, you're correct that she at that point doesn't recognize who they are, but we heard enough of her story to recognize, I think at this point she's maybe 150 or 200 years old. Mm-hmm. I think she was 300 years old in TNG. And, it, you know, it's clear uh, the pain of her planet being destroyed by the Borg is still real. It's even fresher in her mind than it was uh, in uh, TNG timeline. And so I saw a lot of that frustration. Also, she was much quicker to go to rage and mm-hmm. um, much less measured and emotional than the uh, uh, unemotional than the Guinan from TNG. So I really enjoyed meeting her. You know, anytime you say 10 forward and Guinan, you're going to put a smile on my face. I don't care what timeline you're in. Oh, and it was, it was, I thought it was so interesting how over humanity she was. She was just like, this species is the worst and I'm done with it. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess given what she'd been seeing, especially in recent years, it's really hard to blame her. Uh, but when, uh, uh, you know, she was finally, uh, Picard was able to convince her that, you know, yes, we are someone like I, I'm Picard, you know, me, you don't know, you know me yet, but there was a weird timeline thing that she clocked on, uh, and gave him the introduction that he needed to find, to find the watcher. And the introduction was not to the watcher, but someone called the supervisor. Mm -hmm. And the supervisor was the splitting image of Loris. We, of course, remember from episode one, the Romulan uh, house guest who was uh, wanted, uh, was very much in love with Picard. And she was there to watch over Earth. Now, I've already said what I think about Romulans. uh, But here we had Romulans actually looking out for and supporting Terrans in a very different time. And so I love that dichotomy mm-hmm. that at one point, I wouldn't say we were fast friends with the Romulans, but we weren't the bitter enemies. We became in TOS, TNG, and a little bit in uh, DS9 mm-hmm. as well. So what, what did you think of uh, the, the supervisor? Uh, my and first guardian was, name? yeah, it was that Picard's got a chance to make up for his grievous error from... <gasps> Episode one. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's actually going to be the case, but that was the first thing my mind jumped to. Um, I would, it would be really fascinating if in uh, kind of this relationship with this particular Romulan is one of the things that, you know, helps decide whether or not the Romulans become a captive enslaved people in the Confederation of Earth's future or become uh, uh, the, an independent maybe warlike and devious planet, but then it ultimately got destroyed. There seems to be no way for the Romulans to win. <laughs> There's no great outcome, it seems like, for them. Uh, so, I don't know, maybe this is a whole Romulan-engineered plot to have some kind of a better future. Um, that's an interesting take. Uh, just, that just came to me. Well, 
I, like you, did wonder if this was going to give Picard the opportunity to correct his mistake from episode one. I think in this episode, did we meet Renee in this episode or is that the next one? I think that's the next one. Okay, so we'll have to save that one. <laughs> but uh, I just enjoyed watching Picard and Guinan in this mm-hmm. because Guinan still is has the insight and has uh, that inner knowledge that she displayed all through TNG, and it doesn't take very long for her to figure out Mm-hmm. These people are, uh, and what they are doing there. What What were your thoughts around that? I think she, she always always had the the character of being the sage, right? And so I think even despite being more youthful and more frustrated, uh, ultimately Guinan is who Guinan is, and that is someone who listens and who helps reflect what is going on and who helps through situations. So I thought that uh, that was played really really well. I also thought the this one and the, maybe the next one are sort of the nader or the queen in terms of showing just how nefarious she is and that she will really do anything, say anything to get her way, uh, which uh, her goal is to take control, uh, starting with Jurati, but then <laughs> the rest of humanity while she's at it. Uh, well, see, what you were saying about the, the Romulans always being devious, I, I, that's that's where the Borg fall for me. You can never really trust a full Borg. <laughs> So I thought this one kind of set us up uh, for the next series of episodes. Any sort of okay. final thoughts on this one, Megan? Uh, I think we need to talk a little bit about the Raffi and uh, Annika police speed chase. <laughs> because uh, a couple of things that happened throughout this episode, maybe the last one, of uh, Seven having these experiences of being liked on site. Uh, for me, this had a little bit harder than her initial... Like, it's one thing, I think, to see yourself without these facial implants, this borders. It's another to see how uh, other people will immediately like you and want to be your friend and want to do things for you, which I, she's never experienced. And that for me hit a little bit harder than just the visual uh, of her seeing that for the first time. Uh, and uh, I think one of Rafi's lines, she's like, you know, you in 2024 should get a room. Yeah, it would be probably really nice if she could stay there <laughs> where it's easy to make friends. And, and uh, anyway, I thought that was that was a really kind of impactful thing for me. And then uh, uh, I always do love a car chase. Uh, so that was really fun when they're trying to track down Rios and try to uh, navigate what I can only imagine is one of the most hideously labyrinthine systems uh, in currently operating uh, with the, you know, uh, ice human tra- uh, tracking. Uh, so that was interesting. <laughs> uh, well, that really brings us to the end of this podcast, which was the first four episodes of Picard season two. I hope you'll join Megan and I, again, where we continue our exploration. Megan, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. See you next time. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Because That's What Heroes Do. We will be taking up episodes five through eight in our next podcast. That's five through eight of Picard season two. So I hope you'll join us as Megan and I continue our exploration of this great series. Because That's What Heroes Do is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.